Uh, so if anybody's like me, you, you probably, I think a lot of us, we like the familiar. Uh, we like things to kind of stay the same. Uh, things get any too different, it kind of gets uncomfortable. I, one of the things that I've hated more than anything in my life is packing up a house to move, move into a new house, can't stand that stuff. I drive the same way to work pretty much every day. It's usually the longer route. So if somebody wants to stalk me, it's going to be easy to figure it out where, I, where I'm going every day. Um, I just, I like things the same. I don't know. I, I love my, my special K with strawberries and blueberries in the morning. I just, and I, if I don't get that, I just feel wrong. Unless it's pancakes. I like pancakes. Um, but I like the familiar so much that the other day, Eric, uh, Eric, was talking to me, and so this is, as you know, we, we've been talking about at the end of this year, there's going to be kind of a transition with him and me, and I'll be campus pastor, and he'll be doing more of an executive thing. He's like, hey, anytime you want to, go ahead and, you know, you can start moving in, into my office in, in Fox Hills. And I was like, no, I actually, I really like my little desk in my little office that's also sh- a shared kitchen. It's great. Don't, I'm just going to stay here. I, and I, I actually meant it, because I I like the familiarity of where I'm at. And then I got to thinking about it for a little while, and he's got two windows. And I was like, yeah, he's going to come in here one day, and he's got no office <laughs> because I don't like familiarity that much. But I, I think everybody, every one of us, we've got this in us where we like familiarity, and sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad. Uh, if we're too familiar with something or someone, we, we may not appreciate it the way that we should. You know, the things that, the awesomeness that you and I have that we didn't have 10 years ago, let alone 100 years ago, it's crazy. Obviously, you think about smartphones, probably the first thing. They run our lives. They ruin our lives. They do all those things. Um, they have, I guess, more computing power than what took man to the moon the first time. It's crazy. But there's other things uh, that I, I don't know if we appreciate always the way that we should. I think of a blender. Like 100 years ago, I don't think that there was a blender. But I think about, like, I love smoothies. Anybody like smoothies? Think about trying to make a smoothie without a blender. So back 100 years ago, you go, I don't, I don't know where they keep things frozen 100 years ago. Uh, they buried in the ground. I don't know. But you go to wherever they keep things frozen. You grab a block of ice. You bring it to your kitchen. You put it on the countertop. And you start, you take a rock and you start smashing it. And ice is flying everywhere. And then you, you got to get fruit. And you, so you... You blend this smoothie, and it takes like three hours to make a smoothie. Life without a blender seems pure awful, right? And we've got all these things that we are familiar with that we don't even think about. Our cars, our GPS. Go somewhere without a GPS nowadays. We're so familiar with it, but we, and it's like we don't appreciate it the way that we probably should because we're that familiar with it. When I was a kid, I, I loved the chance to be able to meet somebody who was famous. I think every, every young kid loves to meet somebody that's famous, somebody that you see in a TV screen, and all of a sudden, oh, look at that. Uh, we're not familiar with them in person, but that moment where we get to see them in person, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and for me, I didn't, like to, I didn't like to go and get signatures from people when they were famous. Like I, to me, signatures is a little bit like taking videos or photos on your camera. I watch people and they go to witness this like historic event and they're watching it through their phone screen. I don't get that. Now, it's not that I've never done that. You know, you're watching your kids at a, at a concert and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't see my kid at all. I'm just looking at my TV, my, my, my screen. 
I don't understand that. And the same thing, when I was a kid with signatures, I'm like, why do I want to spend my time meeting somebody famous and going, hey, could I get a signature from you? I, I just want to make a connection. And part of it was I wanted them to walk away thinking, man, that kid wasn't annoying. And maybe they would want to be my best friend. There's that little bit of me. I went to a concert last weekend with my wife, and it's, this, it's a pretty little-known band called the Grey Havens. Um, it's a husband and wife duo, and they've got obviously some band members as well, but um, the dude is super talented. And there was like 14 times where I, I just leaned over to my wife. I'm like, him and I are supposed to be best friends. <laughs> I know it. Um, I, I don't like signatures. And there was a couple times where I, where I got to meet somebody uh, pretty famous when I was a kid. I remember one time I was in Minneapolis. We were at this, it was kind of a mall thing in, in downtown Minneapolis. And I said to my dad, I'm like, Dad, I think that's Yvonne Rodriguez in that, in that little restaurant thing over there. It's a fast food restaurant. Yvonne Rodriguez was, uh, he was a catcher for the Texas Rangers. And he was like in his second or third year of playing Major League Baseball. He's actually in the Hall of Fame right now. So he's kind of a big deal. And my dad's like, no, it's not, but I'll go check and see. And so my dad, being a loving father, he went up and asked him. And I'm still like 50 yards away. And I see Yvonne Rodriguez go, yep, when my dad asked him. And so I just shoot after, like I just, I'm hightailing it. And I'm not even, there's nothing in me that's thinking, i got to get this guy's signature. I just want to shake his hand. Like, I wanted that opportunity just to, to meet that guy. There's another situation, and I was about 21 years old. Um, I actually had a random chance meeting with the guy that was my favorite Minnesota Twins player at that time. His name is Torrey Hunter. Um, he's an all-star center fielder. We were in, Minneapolis, or we were in Chicago at this time, um, and we were, I don't know if it's called the Hancock Building still, but there's a cheesecake factory at the bottom of it, and we were, we were eating dinner there, and we were there for about 10 minutes, and my dad's like, Kellen, it's Tory Hunter. And I looked like literally sitting right in the booth next to us. It's Tory Hunter. And I got super excited. And I was like, Tory. It literally came out of my mouth like that, high pitched. And, and he, we had this, he was just really cool. We had a cool conversation and didn't think about asking for his autograph. Um, I was like, man, before I went home from college, I, w- I went and watched like nine games uh, this, this spring when you guys were playing. And he's like, you in college? I thought you was like 12. I was like, no. Not my favorite player anymore. Um, and so I, I, I love these opportunities to, to, to meet somebody like that when I was a kid. Didn't want their autograph. And I walked away from this moment, and I, my hands were shaking for like an hour. It's pathetic. I know. I get it. But now I want you to think about if you were one of these players' kids. If you're their kids, you're thinking, why the heck do these people, why do they care so much about my dad? Like, leave us alone. My dad stinks when he comes home from a game. You realize that, right? He called me by my sibling's name the other day for no reason. Didn't even realize it. Like, he's a human. Uh, kids are not super fascinated by their, their famous parents, I'm thinking. Um, I actually had, I've got a, a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a pastor out in New York and really good preacher. And so there's a lot of, a lot of places that want to have him come and talk. And so he was in Kansas City. Uh, and I, I was just listening to to his sermon on podcast the other day. He was in Kansas City, and he was preach, about to preach, and he took a picture of himself, sent it to his family. Hey, I'm about to go on and preach. And he's, he said, man, I'm thinking my, my kids are going to send something back like, Dad, you're the best preacher ever. Go get it. And his 10-year-old daughter sent him a text that said, hey, Dad, try not to fail. I laughed so hard when I was running and listening to that. Like, I, I love that kids just aren't all that impressed by their parents, even if their parents are just awesome. Um, kid of a ball player, 
even a Hall of Fame ball player may not appreciate everything that, that that parent has to offer that other people are appreciating. But familiarity has, it has a, an ability to either make us complacent or it can make us appreciative. Uh, that kid is also familiar with their parent in a way that others aren't. Like, the reason that that person is actually special is because that's my dad or that's my mom. And I think um, our familiarity with Jesus can either make us complacent about who he is or it can help us hone in and, and, and kind of bring us more focus on just how special Jesus actually is to us. This morning, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 3. Um, and I really think that this passage can give us a better idea of what it looks like to be familiar with Jesus without becoming complacent with who he is. Um, now, this, this passage we're going to look at, it's actually the second part of a passage that I, had, I preached about the first part of it, I think, just back in February. Uh, it's a story of a guy who is a, he's a crippled beggar, and every day they, they bring him to the temple gates at the courtyard uh, in Jerusalem, in this gate called uh, Beautiful. And they sit him there, and he just sits there and he begs all day. And it's pretty likely that Jesus had even passed by this guy at one point, didn't heal him or anything, but... One day, Peter and John come, come through this gate, and they, they stop, they, they give attention to this crippled beggar, and they say, hey, in the name of Jesus, go ahead and walk. Guy gets up, he starts walking, and as you could imagine, things are a little crazy then in the temple courts that day, because people are like, what just happened? And so this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says, while the man who was just healed, while the man held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Peter and John were more familiar with Jesus than any two people who ever probably walked the face of the earth. Like, Peter and John were Jesus' besties. I think it'd be so cool to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm a besties with Jesus. That's what they were. And they were so familiar with Jesus that Jesus went ahead and gave them a ton of authority. He gave them the responsibility to carry out the message that he had been, that he had been brought to this world for. But the familiarity that they had with Jesus did not hinder that spark that they had for Jesus. Um, they didn't take kind of that ho-hum attitude about Jesus like, like a kid would about their, their famous parent. They kind of had, I think, more the attitude that, that I had as a 21-year-old meeting my favorite baseball player and hands shaking for an hour afterwards. There was a spark that they had for who Jesus was. He completely transformed everything about their lives. He transformed how they lived, how they talked, how they believed, everything. So I think we need, to, we need to deal with an important question this morning. And that question would be this. How can I let my familiarity with Jesus be, con, be a continual spark to my spiritual aspirations rather than letting it make me uninspired in my spirit? In, in other words, how can I want to tell people about Jesus more the more that I actually get to know Jesus? Because the truth is, for a lot of us, it may have started off, like when we first got to know Jesus, like, man, I, I want everybody to know about this. But as, as it goes on, it starts to maybe taper off a little bit. Some of that spark maybe starts to miss. 
I think through this passage, we can see a few different things that, about Peter and John that I think helps us to see how that spark remained in them. The first thing that, that I see with, with Peter and John is they expect the unbelievable to happen because Jesus is in charge. They are expecting unbelievable things to happen. If you look back at verse 12, now everybody's kind of going crazy. This miracle has just happened. Um, but the way that Peter responds to it, he responds to it with an expectant familiarity. He says to him, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you that this guy has been healed? Why do you stare at us? Essentially what he is telling everybody is, why do you think that Jesus wouldn't want to heal this guy? Where, had, where have you all been? This is what Jesus is about. I think that continual spark stays in Peter and John about who Jesus is because they expect him to do amazing things in people's lives. They've seen him do the miraculous. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead. And when we come in contact with this, this powerful Savior Jesus, what happens is I don't, think, I don't think we have the capacity anymore to have kind of like this malaise about who Jesus is. When we come in contact with this powerful Jesus, we can't be just ho-hum about him. We become expectant about it. There's a, there's a saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. Anybody ever hear that before? Familiarity breeds contempt? If you haven't, you heard it now. Um, but I was looking online, I was looking online this week, um, just kind of looking at that that phrase. And I came across a psychologist who, who wrote a, an article about whether or not that's true, if familiarity breeds contempt. And he was like, no, it's not, it's not that alone. You know, two people who are married don't, become, don't have a contempt grow between the two of them just because they're familiar with each other. Uh, a, a player and a coach don't have contempt between the two of them just because they've been coaching and playing for each other for a long time. You don't have, have contempt for your job simply because you've been in it a long time. And we can, we can see reasons why we know that's the case because there are married people who love each other immensely after years and years and years. Um, I think about uh, from the San Antonio Spurs, Coach Popovich and Tim Duncan. They were player coach for like 20 years, five championships. It was good the whole time. It's possible for that to happen. I think about our pastor, Pastor David in Beloit. He's been pastoring this church for like 30 lots of years. And he's still, he's not bored with it. He's, he's, he's satisfied with it. So familiarity alone doesn't breed contempt. I think there, the psychologist was saying there's something else that he thinks is, is the bigger part of that. What breeds contempt is actually mediocrity. When two people are married and they stop telling good things to each other about what they think about each other. Now all of a sudden, I stop telling my wife and my wife now stops telling me and all of a sudden, we've just got this mediocrity between the two of us and things now become contemptuous. A player and a coach, they've been together for a long time, but the reason that things are getting rough is because they're, maybe they're not winning the way that they used to. Coach McCarthy and Rodgers. They win a Super Bowl, and, and it was just too long. Not, as, not the kind of success that they wanted, and things get, things get more tight. <clears throat> Familiarity does not breed contempt. It actually should heighten the things that, it, that we see about the person that we married. It should, it should heighten what we learned to love about them. It should make playing for that coach easier. The more that you know him, the more that you know what to expect out of it. 
But mediocrity over time can, can damage us even though we're familiar with, with, with something. Now here's where, the, where this matters when it comes to our, our spark for Jesus. If you don't see Jesus as anything all that special, you're not going to really want to share him with other people, are you? If you don't see Jesus especially, you're not going to want to share him. Familiarity with Jesus is a great thing, but as long as it, it, we have to not be losing sight of what it is that we find amazing about Jesus. Familiarity with him should heighten all those things that we see about him. But if I asked you right now, what is it that makes Jesus amazing to you? Would you know right off the bat what that answer is? What is it that makes Jesus amazing to you? Is it the fact that he offers grace to a sin-ravaged person like yourself? Is it the fact that he would go to any lengths, including even dying himself on a cross, to give you the grace that he wants to give you? See, the real trouble comes when that is not enough. The real trouble comes when we struggle to find Jesus as being as amazing as he is when it's the grace alone that isn't what amazes us. If I come to Jesus expecting that he's going to make my life better somehow, then what happens when my debt continues to pile up? What happens when my marriage continues to be rocky? What happens when I still can't stand my job or I can't stand my kids or I can't stand this body that I'm living in? If those are the things that we're thinking is what makes Jesus amazing, that he makes those things right, then, then we're going to miss out. See, Jesus is amazing when we get outside of the here and now, outside of the temporary where we're at, and we look at things from the eternal landscape. That's the only way that we're going to see Jesus as amazing because we're going to be stuck in situations of life where life is difficult. And if we are not able to see that Jesus is working in the midst of all of that, we're going to stop seeing just how amazing he is. Being familiar with Jesus and in, in, in seeing his grace, seeing, seeing his goodness and his amazingness outside of this temporary moment, but in the whole scope of reality, that's the kind of familiarity with Jesus that will never grow stale. That's the kind of familiarity with Jesus that we're never going to be surprised when he opens a door for us to share him with somebody else. I want to look a little further in this passage now. Um, because I think there's other things that we can see about Peter and John, how it is that that spark for Jesus remains in them. So we're going to start here again in verse 13, Acts 3, verse 13. They're talking to these Jewish people around the temple, and, and Peter says, You handed Jesus over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released, released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. There's a lot going on in this passage. I get that. Um, but Peter's doing something here that has become second nature to him. He is telling these people what God is doing in the context of history and what he's doing right now for them. 
he's brilliantly telling them the gospel. He is brilliantly telling them the good news about who Jesus is. That, that God is willing to take even what they meant for evil and to bring it for their good. Um, Peter, essentially, he's telling them, you guys acted in ignorance. You sent Jesus to the cross. But here's the thing. It's okay. It's exactly what the prophet said were going to happen. God is doing it. God did it for your good. Now all you need to do is repent and be saved. And what happens in this whole thing is Peter realizes that this healing of this crippled man was done all just for the purpose that these people could find out who Jesus is. He's seeing what God is doing in, in the context of history to bring people to him. I think that's a way that, they, that these guys keep their spark for Jesus. They see that everyday life only makes sense in the context of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Everyday life only makes sense if we see what Jesus is doing in that everyday world that we're living in. God is trying to do something around us, every single one of us. He's doing something around us every single day so that people can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. When you see a problem in the world, can you attach to it an answer that's found in the hope of Jesus? When problems come in, do they just do they throw you in a tailspin and you can't understand? Like, how in the world could God be doing anything through this? Or can you make sense of those situations that come into your life and see it through the light of the gospel? Because I don't think that we can hold on to hope. I don't think we can hold on to that spark for Jesus if we don't see the gospel working in, in those everyday moments. But I love how the gospel gives us answers to everyday life difficult situations. Why do we suffer through pain when we lose someone that we love? It's because we were made for eternity. We weren't made to experience this thing called death. And this thing called death is, is meant to aim us to a God who is eternal, a God where there is no death and where there is no suffering. Why, why do I struggle with physical and financial difficulties? It's because I was not meant to find all of my hope and all of my joy in financial and physical well-being. Sometimes I think God's able to use those types of difficulties to try to push us towards him just a little bit more. Why do kids growing up have to go through this awful thing called puberty where there's hormones going on and there's acne and there's all these things that are just awful? Well, there's a scientific reason probably, but I think that there's a spiritual reason to it. Our bodies are not everything that we would want them to be, and they need to mature, and they need to grow, and it's painful, and there's awfulness that goes with it. But on a spiritual level, it's the same thing. Our spirits are not where they're meant to be yet. We're supposed to go through difficulties and trials so that we can grow and become what God has asked us to become. All these things that we go through in life, they're meant to point us back to God, back to what Jesus has done. So the question is, can you see the gospel in your everyday life? Can you look at those troubles around you and see the good news of Jesus through it? I think it's really going to be hard for us to lose that spark that we have for Jesus is if everything in our lives, we see Jesus through it again. It points back to, to him. And that's why when it comes to verse 19 in, in this passage, uh, Peter said to these people, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. For Peter, everything came back to pointing back to Jesus. Everything did. And I think that's another way that they kept that spark for Jesus. 
that kept that spark for him. I think it's as easy as reminding ourselves that nothing is more important than finding the door that someone can find Jesus through. If I can always be reminding myself, nothing's more important than somebody else finding that door that's open to Jesus and helping them to see where that door is. If I can continually remind myself of that, man, that spark for Jesus, it's going to stay a little bit stronger, I think. Have you stopped looking for those opportunities to show the real Jesus to people in your lives? Truth is that I think we all go through moments where that's the case. The question is, what, what it's kind of, I think, the, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Do we, do we lose our excitement to tell people about our faith because we're, we're, we're not excited, because we're not telling people, or do, do we just not tell people because we're not excited, or we're not excited because we're not telling people? It's just, I think if we're excited about our faith, we're going to tell people. And I think if we're telling people about our faith, we're going to stay excited. That is one of those things. I think our spark remains when we're like Peter and John, and we're looking for those opportunities to show people that open door to Jesus. Now, it's probably, it's probably true that not every single moment is a moment where we should be trying to share our faith. You know, when I get stopped by a cop for speeding, that might not be the best time. Be like, hey, cop. You know, I was just speeding, but you know that Jesus? I don't know. Maybe not. When you're taking a test at school, be like, hey, this is hard. Life is hard. You know Jesus? Like, that, I don't know. It might not be the time. You just met your neighbor for the first time. You brought him over some, a, warm, a, a warm thing of fresh bread. Maybe let the bread cool before you try to go into that whole Jesus thing. Maybe there's somebody in your life that... You've tried in the past, and they've literally told you, do not try to get me to follow Jesus. Maybe it's time to pull back a little bit. I got a friend. um, She's a pretty new Christian, and she's excited about her faith, and I think it's awesome. Um, And she told me the other day, my goal is to get my dad to come to church with me once in the next year. She said, I tried last week, but he said he'd never go to a church like that, so I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep bugging him. And I hope he's going to come. And I love that attitude. Now, I told her, and this might have been the wrong thing to say, but I kind of said something like, you know, don't push too much too soon. Maybe just keep praying about it. Let the Holy Spirit kind of show you that, that moment. Now, maybe that was wrong of me. Maybe I was kind of tamping down what, what God was trying to do in her. But I think there's also some truth to the fact that our own excitement should also work in hand with what the Holy Spirit is doing. That my excitement alone... I may, push, I, may, I may push someone away if I come at it wrong. Maybe I need to hear what the Holy Spirit is, is trying to say of, of where that door is open to share my faith. But prayer like that is, it, it is a part of actively looking for those open doors. If you are struggling for excitement to, to tell people a little bit about your faith in Jesus, just start to pray for those open doors a little bit. I think I said it a couple weeks ago when I prayed, but when we, or when I preached, when we pray for those open doors, it is amazing how God opens those doors and how he makes those doors a lot easier to walk through than what we would have thought. We've been talking for the last four weeks here about, about sharing our faith, um, trying to look at it from different ways, and I think it can be a really daunting task for any of us. How can I keep my enthusiasm for Jesus to such a point that I'd be willing to look for any and every opportunity to share Jesus with other people? How can I keep my excitement up like that? You see, relationships, they ebb and flow. Even the relationship with, with our spouse. Man, it can be, man, time, like everything is working perfect. And okay, today, why, why, is it just, why is it tough? Some days, man, I, can, I love my kids so much. And then the other days, it's like, I'm really trying to love my kids. 
But the reason is, is that relationships ebb and flow because we don't give each other reasons to be enthusiastic about each other all the time. We are messed up. But this is where the good news about Jesus comes into play. We don't have to work up enthusiasm for Jesus if we know who Jesus truly is. Uh, Lamentations 3 says this, and, and the guy starts out as he's writing this. He is down. He is, he's struggling in life, and he says, my soul is downcast within me, and then it totally changes right away. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Some versions of of scripture say it like this. His mercies are new every morning. There is always a reason for you and me to be excited about the person that Jesus Christ is. He gives us reasons to be enthusiastic about who he is. If you're too familiar with Jesus where all of a sudden you feel like you're just not that excited, guess what? I think we need to become more familiar with Jesus then. Because I think the more familiar that we actually are with Jesus, we are going to see anew every single day just how good and, and merciful and powerful and awesome and great those mercies are that he gives us every single day. This morning, is your spirit inspired by the goodness of who Jesus is? This Jesus who sacrificed his life for yours, who knows every hair on your head, who has been with you through every pain in your life, who has been there through every good moment in your life. Do you look for open doors to share this Jesus with other people that you know? If that excitement is lacking, first of all, it's okay, because I think we all are in places like that at times. But if you're not expecting the unbelievable from Jesus, maybe this morning's a good moment for you just to turn your eyes and your heart back to Jesus. Wait on him, like it says in Lamentations. Wait on him. Let him show you again why he is so good. Let him remind you that he's so much bigger than just taking care of the little nitty-gritty things in your life. He's so much bigger than Like, we sometimes, we just look at Jesus as being more ordinary and more common than he possibly could be. You and I have to become familiar with the true Jesus. The Jesus whose mercies are new, who are exciting every single morning. It's the way that Peter and John looked at Jesus. They knew that he was going to heal that crippled man. I don't want to look at Jesus like some kids maybe look at their professional athlete dads. Like, yeah, there's nothing to him. I want to, I want to be that kid who's meeting, who's meeting that athlete for the first time, and he's shaking for an hour afterwards because he's so excited. Jesus is worthy of that kind of excitement in our lives question is, do you need a little bit of that excitement infused into you? Uh, Worship team, you guys can come come up here. Um, Why don't you pray with me?